What the? Mike, did you pick this? What? Hey, welcome to the Wise Guys Podcast. I'm Dr. Michael Terrian. And I'm Scott Lieb. We're two friends who are following Jesus into the joys and challenges of everyday life. Well, good morning. Good morning. How are you? I'm doing pretty good. Good. How are you doing? Uh, good. I feel a little tired this morning. Oh no, I do. So I'm gonna, I'm gonna, you know, muscle my way through this. I'll try as not best to, I can. Try not to bore you. I'll try not to fall asleep. <laughs> I'll <laughs> kick. If, I'll kick you under the table. If you hear a loud thudding, it's because my head has hit into the microphone. And <laughs> okay. Uh, but anyway, no, no, it's good. It's good. I always enjoy talking. So. It is your turn. My turn. Sir. Well, today is All Souls Day. In the church, yes it is. Yeah, so I thought we could we could talk about just the sort of I like to call it the morbidus obsession of Catholics. Hmm. Um especially in this month of November when we commemorate the dead and we have some interesting um relationships with death mm. like relics true and praying for the dead and things like this that well i think are interesting in themselves but i also think they're interesting to ponder within the, the context of our culture that also has a morbid obsession during this time of year but perhaps of a very different sort mm. so I thought maybe we should wow. talk about that. Goodness gracious. So joyful. So there's a uh, you, you're saying this, and there are some things going on in my head, like, you know, this, this uh, obsession with death that we Catholics have. And it seems to me like it's multifaceted. There's, there's the obsession with death from a fear kind of standpoint, like I'm afraid to die, and that's one thing, you know. There's the yeah this whole saint kind of thing you know like we got a we got a forearm of a saint coming to our church and um, saint, it, the relic of Saint Jude yeah and it's you know it's it's kind strange we're a very you know maybe there have been other cultures in the world where it's like you uh-huh. you you put like a you know a toe or something and everybody gets super excited about that. Um, so we, you know, we do have this. We do have this like really kind of interesting thing going on with dead people that were holy, you know. Um, and then also, <clears throat> excuse me. I think uh, just that's like you know what I've what I've observed at funerals and stuff like that. Like we, it's we're very complicated. I think in our approach to death. My let me just tell you mine, and then and then you can go off of these things. But I I actually have, have reached a point in my life where. Um, I, I, if, if tomorrow the world ends, I don't think that I'll make a huge effort to survive. You know, like if there's some cataclysmic thing that happens, I don't see myself like really trying to like, you know, find, find the, the shelter and live, live miserably for the next, you know, however long it would take society to rebuild. Like I, I feel comfortable. Well, I feel comfortable with why my. Why is that? Uh, I just think because I feel like I'm in a good. I feel a lot of peace. Like I feel 
not not assurance or like guarantee, but I feel like I feel some level of confidence that my my uh, relationship with the Lord would be such that I would experience His mercy in the end. You know, like I I don't fear. I don't fear hell, like in a weird kind of way. Like I don't, I don't feel like my life is like in such shambles. There was times whenever I did, like, wow. I mean, this would be, like, I, I was afraid to fly every time I would fly because I didn't want to die because I felt like I was not in a good space if I did die. But I feel like I'm in a good space, like, and not, and I don't mean that in any way, like, look at me. It's not that. It's just that. Um, it's just that I do I have a lot of, I have a lot of peace and a lot of uh, confidence in the mercy of the Lord, for you know where I'm at with Him. Yeah, we have a name for that. It's called hope. Ooh, yeah, <laughs> it's a virtue. It's a Christian virtue. You receive it baptism, um, and that is that is hope. I mean, obviously, the more we live into the virtue of faith, really trusting God, and into the virtue of hope, whereby we really look forward to the fulfillment of all of his promises and believe that he will. Mm-hmm. And also love, you know, staying in that constant sense of connection and relationship with God. Then we really shouldn't have anything to fear, even if if we uh, might have to suffer some purification after death. Um, mm-hmm. You know. Which but, I'm but, most definitely So there should will. be, there shouldn't be a kind of blessed assurance of, oh, you know, it's all good, and, you know, it's all, you know, my my salvation's automatic, and I'm I'm guaranteed to go straight to heaven. That's just like, dumb. Yeah. But at the same time, I don't think we need to live in, in fear and anxiety of that moment that will take us at some point, uh, and we should be able to live in that kind of freedom. So I feel like, though, even in the church, there's a lot of, there's a lot of people, <clears throat> and I would say myself, at one point, it was like this. Like, there's a lot of un- things that haven't been done or things that haven't been said or, like, we're, we're hanging on to something that uh, makes us so afraid to die, you know? Yeah, or, yeah, I mean, I agree. I think there's a lot of... Obviously, we don't want to leave this world with unresolved, like, deep, deep unresolved stuff, especially in our relationships, particularly... Uh, and not just our relationships with other people, but our relationship with God, our relationship with ourselves, because there's unresolved stuff, you know, that we, we need to resolve in ourselves or needs to be resolved in ourselves with mm. the help of God's grace. Mm-hmm. But And then our relationships, and, and a lot of people avoid those things in this life and then are afraid to die because they don't want to face those things um, in a in a different context or setting. As though uh, we might falsely assume that facing those things after death is going to somehow be easier than facing them in this life, but we learn from the saints that it's exactly the opposite of that. We actually, it's much easier to deal with unresolved stuff in this life um, because there's just so much mercy and so so much room for those margins of error in our life, and, 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 but, you know, things become much more exact and uh, precise uh, I think uh, after we die, um, and, and yeah, there's a lot of things unpacking all that. Um, you know, I, I also think it's interesting to, to to ponder how people deal with death 
in terms of the loss of someone they love, um, mm. you, I, I can sometimes I can I think sort of tell where where people have unresolved things with that person who died because when they die they just they're so like or they're so attached to that person in a way that really they should be more attached to God than that person and so they they just they can't get over the loss of that person um, and I think about you know maybe some subtle differences in the way my siblings. And I, you know, I, with my parents, like between my mom and my dad, there were definite differences and they weren't all differences of just temperament and personality. They were also differences of the context of their relationship over the years. And, um, some people in, in my family were more ready to let go of, uh, of my parents than others were. So like, I, I, um, I think it's really interesting. Like with my mom, I I just felt a lot of peace mm-hmm. um, when when she died, and and it was kind of hard when I had to say goodbye to her for the last time because she uh, I went to visit her. She's, she was dying of cancer. I was living in Colorado. She she in Seattle with when the rest of my family where they are, and um, you know they uh, uh, and she she they gave her too much morphine on the weekend that I was there. So she was literally asleep the whole time. Mm. And, uh, and right, I had to leave to go to the airport. Uh, and I hadn't gotten to say one word to her. Oh, wow. And I leaned down to kiss her. It was like something out of a movie. And all of a sudden she literally just opened her eyes wide, mm. like right at the last second and kind of woke up and I'm like, hey, you know, it's kind of spooky. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And oh she's gosh. like, Michael, she's like, what are you doing here? And I was like, Mom, I've been here all weekend. And and she immediately started crying. And I said, I have to leave now. And I have to say goodbye. And I knew that when I said that and when she heard that, she knew what that meant. Like, this mm. is the last time mm. our eyes shall gaze upon each other. But here's the deal. I had such a great relationship with my mom and my dad too. But 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 I just, there was a peace. You know, when I said goodbye to her, I cried, of course, a lot. But... But I just felt this peace. It's weird as my dad died last February, and I'm still processing that. I'm like, I'm just mm-hmm. not in the same space with him. Um, I I had a really great relationship with him, but I'm missing him in a way that I I I, I wasn't experiencing the same thing with my mom. And I think part of it is is um, I had in in recent years come to rely and lean into my dad emotionally so much. Um for some things I was going through, kind of man-to-man, like career-related stuff. So, um, anyway, I'm going on and on about this, but... my No, it's a good... Yeah, it's... I think we uh, we deal... People deal with death in different ways at different moments of their life with different people, but there's a certain... There's not a certain... There is an inevitability that we have to face death. We have to face our own death. We have to face the death of people we love and care about. Mm. We don't know when that's going to happen. And I think the big million dollar question is, is what's the most grace-filled way to do that? How, how can we always be ready in a certain sense um, to, to, to deal with that? And that's why I think, to bring it back to this time of year, I think it is really important that there's a liturgical season for us, the month of November, when we really are focused on the reality of death, um, because I think we we have to we have to face it squarely. We have to face the loss of our loved ones. We have to face our own mortality. Um, and I want to 
uh, uh, last thing, and I'll let, like let you talk. Um, when you were talking about the relics, like we have the relic of mm-hmm. the forearm of St. Jude coming to our parish here, which is, it is, it's just weird. Like Catholics, like we venerate the bones of saints and other things that they've <laughs> touched. Right. I thought, I told my wife the other day, I said, you do realize that if I'm canonized as a saint, that you're, you are going to be a first class relic. Oh, <laughs> wow. She, she started laughing about that. <laughs> I, I was like, it's weird because we are very selective. It's like I have an entire closet full of clothing that would all be first-class relics if I were a canonized <laughs> saint. And it's like and everything I've touched in my house. It's kind of absurd. We pick it's things. Crazy. We say, it's going to be this shirt. This shirt is going to be the first-class relic, and we'll break it up in all these pieces and put it in these little glass things that yeah. people can venerate, whatever. But we, we do. We have this need to touch and to be in physical contact or at least in, the, in a certain physical sensible proximity to those who were holy and and yet and 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 those who have died but it's weird because in a kind of inverted way our culture is obsessed in in a similar way i mean like driving through all the neighborhoods in the last month you know i mean mm. how many like skeleton figures are climbing out of people's front yards oh man they're and, getting darker and darker year after yeah. year like they're not even cartoony anymore they're these menacing th- Eight foot tall, ten foot tall, like, yeah, it's very scary. Some of them, my yeah. kids are like, Ugh. yeah, and every everybody like is adorning their yards with all of this morbidity, and yet there's no hope. There's a kind of, sort of a, a, a kind of, uh, what's the word I want? Um, kind of a a false reenactment of a resurrection, mm-hmm. seeing a. Mm-hmm corpse or a skeleton come out of the ground but it's like that's not really what we want well it's because it's in a scary like for 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 the culture at large the prospect of that you know we we're all about resurrection of the body but in a in a really cool like Life supernatural way. kind of you know walk through walls sort of way where it's beautiful and glorious whereas the yeah like the idea, I think, in the culture at large of people resurrecting is ho- terrifying. Like it's like this. I don't. Want, I don't want to go so far, maybe, as to say demonic kind of thing, but it's, it is. It's, it's a, coming from it's a, a place. A yeah, it's, it's a coming from a place not of, not of like, um, yeah, like supernatural grace and stuff like that, but rather like menacing dread. Like it's. Eh, and and I think that that does actually like um, express people's actual feelings and disposition towards dying. Like they're 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 dramatizing that for themselves, you know, with ghosts and and so there's definitely a belief in those things of some level. But we 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 ritualize that through how we. De- decorate our yards and our mm-hmm. houses during this time. It's kind of the season of dying. It's the season of death. Mm-hmm. It goes back into the ancient world. Humans have always pondered and celebrated and ritualized death at, in this time of year because this is what's happening seasonally. Yeah, yeah. yeah. But but there's no hope in that and, and and because there's not there's no good, really ultimately good ending to that story. But that's why that's why as Catholics I think we do venerate these 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 relics, these this worldly 
holdovers mm. of the lives of saints yeah. because it puts us in some sort of contact with someone who made it to the other side in, in a glorious manner. And, um, and we realize that, that, that there's a transformation that's going to occur, not an end. Like mm. death isn't an end. It's a transition into a different mode and state of existence, which as Christians we believe is going to be uh, glorious and it's going to be infinitely better than anything we could ever want in this life. Um, and yet the, the, the need to ponder death is, is, you know, is a whole other question mm. for us spiritually because we, we need to learn how to live our life in this life in a way that's sufficiently detached from the things of this world. Sure. Because if we don't, then we are going to end up like the skeletons, half-rotting corpses. <laughs> Yikes, literally? Well, I mean, like in a figurative sense. Yeah, it's like yeah. it, like we, we end up in, by embracing the corruptible temporal passing goods of this life, we just end up becoming like them in the end. Mm. Whereas, I mean, this is what, you know, our, our faith tells us. If we embrace and, and set our sights and our affections and our attention on the things that are everlasting, then we become what we, what we uh, really focus on, um, and and we attain to that end. Yeah, I, mean, I think uh, I think growing up in a farming family, there's just this natural kind of like, <clears throat> um, I don't know, I'm not sure what I would call it. Maybe a healthy understanding of like sort of the cycle of life and death, you know, and it it's just you realize it's it is it's just something that happens it's inevitable you know you don't get all emotionally caught up when things die um because that's that's just the way it goes whether it's your dog or your cat or your cow your cow your grandmother you know like i mean it it goes a little bit deeper i think like with your f- family members and stuff like that well, but I, I hope more than a little but <laughs> that might be that might be the right thing to say about your dog hopefully it goes a little deeper with your pet than it would with just a yeah. animal you're going to eat but, but but i mean but but i, I, get I guess what i'm saying is that there's just this acceptance that that's the way it goes you know mm-hmm. like and no amount of wailing or oh i wish i would have is going to change that you know like so i i do think um for my own life, like that did kind of help prepare me for this. Like, um, yeah, you can't, you can't live in this, this sort of, um, regret, you know, like no amount of regrets or wishing that you would have said something or done something. So, so what in your opinion is the best way to avoid having regrets? Um, well, a, a couple of things I would say, uh, you know, I, I, um, <laughs> this is, it's going to sound so simple, but, um, just prior, making sure the priorities are, are right, you know, like the most important things are the most important things and everything kind of flows from that. So I did, li- you know, again, I want to go back to that experience of whenever I did, when I was living in this kind of like 
fear of dying shame cycle because of regrets and and um, you know regrets about certain decisions I made or actions were, that were taken. Um, I I would I would say simultaneously that I was just I was living for this world, you know, like I was living just in the moment of this world, and I didn't really have my mind my eyes set on the greater things, like and. It's like whenever I, whenever I sort of discovered that or whenever I encountered the Lord and my heart was changed and I, I was on a path of like, like a real relationship with God, um, it kind of put that into perspective. Like I don't have to, I don't have to constantly be uh, striving to or trying so dang hard to live a perfect life because I was afraid of going to hell. You know, like, and that's that's sort of just whether it was um, explicitly or implicitly like drilled into me growing up. I don't know, but um, but that was how I operated, and so there was a freedom whenever I was like, no, it it's not about having my having my eyes only seeing what's one foot in front of my face constantly. Like, okay, I got to do this right. I got to do this right. I got to take this step because I don't want to. I don't want to die in a car crash and go to hell. I don't want to, you know, be hit by a whatever it is. Like, but it was more like, uh, wow, okay. I God understands me. God's God knows what I'm dealing with internally in terms of my like, you know, temptations and 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 habits and sins and blah blah blah. And He also, if I come to Him with sincere contrition. He'll forgive that, you know, like, and I, and I get it, I constantly get a chance to be resurrected and like to try again. And, and that just brought with it this ton of confidence of like, okay, uh, I don't have to live in regrets because I can, I can let go of those things, you know, like I can let go of the fear. I can let go of this, uh, you know, impending doom that if I'm not being perfect, I'm destined for that you know, skeleton kind of existence in the ground and a misery and, um, my whole entire eternal life. So, you know, that was one thing, just the freedom, the freedom from regret of just, um, stop living, stop, stop trying to do everything out of my own power, you know, and trying to control every aspect of my life as if I could do that, you know, and it was, I look back on that and I'm like, it's so stupid and foolish because it, it, I, it was a miserable existence. It was a very angst and anxiety filled existence, you know, like, um, so that was one, I think, yeah, as simple as that sounds, it's, well, yeah. Might be simple, but I think it's profound really. I mean, because that's the, there, you know, you, you use the word confidence. We've talked about this before, but I mean, that's that's learning to have faith. Like, it's really learning to trust God. And we are fallible and we're corruptible creatures, and we are going to screw up. And we have to be able to let let go of those things, learn from them, and continue to lean into the present opportunities we have around us to live better and to grow and to become better human beings. And and that's what, you know, it, hope is what carries us forward into the future in that manner. Um, so, and, and there's a freedom that comes with that. Um, even while at the same time, uh, we, we do need to keep our, our attention on the ultimate end. Like mm -hmm. it's not about this world. It's not about this life yet. We have opportunities in this life 
to uh, grow towards, you know, being sort of like suited for everlasting life, to mm. be uh, adapt- adapted to eternal life with God. And, and that's a process, a process of getting it wrong, learning, and, and, and getting up and trying to, trying to mm. get it right. Or yeah. a little bit more right. One thing, as I was listening to you, there, there was, there's, there's an idea or a concept that I've thought about many times over the years. You know, if you go into like a pagan religious worldview, the 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 understanding of the created order is it's always a cyclical order. So it's always represented by a circle. It's like the circle of life, you know. Mm-hmm. And then around and around and around and around it goes. And there's almost a certain fatalism in it because like there there's there's no way off the wheel. You know, uh, there's no way out of the cycle. And so in a sense, there's a kind of almost tragic, um, maybe even um, despairing kind of embrace of the inevitability of life and death. And so, you know, I have my little splash, but I'm nothing. And so I'm going to die and disappear and become a nothing. You know, I'll (laughs) just, you know, I'll be absorbed into, uh, you know, the circle of life like the the Lion King. Yeah, yeah, Um, right. And and so and and so ultimately, I think um, the pagan view of things is it's cyclical, it's rhythmic, and that's important because there's a way in which we need that. We need that predictability. We need that regularity. We need that that rhythm to life. But it also can become kind of a gerbil wheel. Where is there anything beyond it? Is it what's the point of all this? Like, where is all of this going? Mm-hmm. And that's where I think. You know, we we come into a Christian view of these things. We realize that that there that we believe that there is a purpose. That history is moving not just in circles, but linearly, kind of in circles. But we're moving somewhere. We're going somewhere. We're going to a, a kind of consummatory or a consummation of history, a, mm. an end time or an end event, which is which is um, which is glorious. Which is uh, y- y- you know. Um, ecstatic it's it's yeah it's it's something wonderful um and and so there is a point and there is a purpose and so i i think for us as we live through the seasons and the cycles of a year to, to what you're saying is that there's always an opportunity to get better and better at living this life as a human being mm-hmm. yeah and and learning and growing from the experiences that we have in every season. It's like I don't know if you ever have this experience, but it's like, oh, it's fall again. Mm-hmm. My gosh, I remember last fall. I remember some of the things that were happening. I remember, you know, I always use the analogy of my yard, but like every year, I, there's always like an assessment. It's like, how did I do this year with my yard? It's time to winterize it, so I'm going to cut everything back and cut everything down and get all the beds all cleaned up. You know, it's kind of a it's kind of a cleaning out the, you know. Um, letting go of, you know, some yeah. things worked, some things didn't work so well in the yard this year, and then spring comes, and it's like, okay, we're starting over, but the question is, what I learned last season that I'm going to do differently this season to help mm. there be more color, more flowers, more beauty, more life in this garden, and and, and more order, but yet, but spontaneous beauty also. It's yeah. Like, I want weeds out. Sure. Flowers growing. Yeah. Well, I mean, that's a great metaphor for life. And I think that is a really good metaphor. Through through the life and death cycle of existence, we're always given this opportunity to ponder anew the meaning of our existence, 
what matters, what doesn't matter. Mm. Let's 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 get rid of the weeds of our life. Let's make more. Let's cultivate the ground of our souls so that there's more life the next round. There's more flowers. There's no more blooms. There's more fruit. Yeah. There's you know there's more good things, and 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 part of that is you know I I prune a lot of things back in the fall and I kept things back pretty hard at times because I want I want more blooms. My rose of Sharon right now. You know I'm trying to get them and my my lilac. I was a lilac bush that, you know it's like it's growing about a foot a year, but but I I want it to be you know thick and full of blooms, and um, hmm. so it it's it's. There's a, there's a, a kind of science to it, but it's the same thing with our lives, you know, like we, uh, so anyhow. I think that, um, as you're talking there, it makes me think like, of course there's the obvious death, you know, or our physical death. Um, but I feel like, uh, we're being constantly, uh, invited or given the opportunities to die in many, many different ways. And, um, in some of those ways, uh, I think are more painful than others, you know, like for, for me, um, dying to like a a certain desire, you know, like I, I think for, for a while in my life, um, I was very much about financial security and success, you know, especially, uh, when I was doing architecture and, um, and then, um, very clearly kind of, you know, sort of like the young rich man in the gospel, you know, like doing all the right things, going to church, you know, saying a rosary, all that stuff, you know, and the Lord was like, well, I need you to kind of die to this, uh, need for financial security. And, um, and so, you know, the opportunity to, to go into ministry related work and, and it, it was terrifying. And I think like that any sort of thought of death in our lives, whether it's, you know, kind of uh, an ex- like physical or a uh, I don't know what you'd call that, but like something less it's it's more um, metaphorical, maybe or something like that, that any kind of death that we're being challenged with or asked to uh, ponder, you know, and consider in our lives is really really hard. And, uh, and I think the more that we're able to do it, especially if you're, if you're, um, if someone is growing in, in their formation and growing in their relationship with God, like that, that invitation to die to things, I think becomes a little bit easier and easier and less and less difficult. But it's funny because that financial, uh, windfall that I desired so much in my life, uh, when I was first starting out in after grad school, I think God is maybe some someday in my life he'll be like, okay, now you're ready for this. But he, he's like, he knows, he knows that if if that's if that was my pursuit, uh, I'd probably be uh, miserable on so many different levels and and lost in ways that I couldn't imagine. So like, I'm happy for that death that that is that I've you know accepted and. Um, but it, that letting go part is, uh, that's a hard thing. It is. It is. I mean, that's, but that's, that, you know, it, it, there is an, a necessary dying to self. And, and like, what does that mean? Well, you know, there's just things to which we attach ourselves too much in this life that God knows w- won't ultimately fulfill us. And yet we deceive ourselves into thinking that, you know, our life consists in possessing or attaining those things. 
And that's the kind of the delusion of it. And part of growing up spiritually is realizing what we're real, what we really are as human beings and what we're made for and the kind of things that are going to ultimately fulfill and satisfy us. And it's always higher things. It's never lower things. It's like, but we tend to descend to the lowest kind of denominator of simple passing satisfaction and gratification or the power we need to have as many of those things as we want, mm, like money, yeah. you know, but it, it, you know, I think we realize that there is an ongoing need to die to self uh, and, you know, that is to, to let go of and renounce, if you will, those inordinate attachments to things that ultimately they have a usefulness in this life, a utility, clothes, food, entertainment, whatever it is, sex, you know. Um, but we're not made ultimately for the perpetual satisfaction of those desires and those appetites in our life. Um, and so, you know, that, that I think kind of leads us into a conversation. Something else I think would be interesting for us to explore here is just, you know, as, as November is the month of the dead, we're, 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 we put a particular attention on praying for the souls in purgatory, you know, beginning today, All Souls Day, um, declaring our hope and our, and our knowledge that they are saved and they will be going to heaven, but this, this work of purification is not complete. And, uh, and, and that, that, that should make us think about many things, like, first of all, how can I help them? And then how do they help us, in a sense? They help us because they do pray for, for us, as far as I understand that. Um, and, uh, but they also teach us, you know, um, how do we want to live our life do we want to have to go through purification in the next life? And one way I like to explain this to people, because I think sometimes we, we, we just think of purgatory as sort of like a, like a, a, a punishment room, you know, where <laughs> like we have to go to this place and we have to get, you know, we have to satisfy the wrath of God's justice and, and make sure we paid for every, everything um, that we've ever done. You know, then we're worthy to go to, to heaven. I, I think we, tend to think of things in these, these very sort of stark terms of justice. But I think the thing that we fail to see is that, you know, God has built justice right into the, like, justice is intrinsic to the nature of the, the way we live. And, and so, you know, the, the, way I, the, the way I like to describe sort of the, the last things, the afterlife, you know, there, there is the glory of God, right? It's, it's a light, it's a perfect light, it's purifying fire, it's all these things, mm -hmm. these images we have from Scripture. But for, for those who go straight to heaven, the glory of God is, is blessedness, it's happiness, it's joy. It's, you know, for, for those in purgatory, it's purification. So the glory, same glory of God, which, is, which, which brings bliss to the perfect, brings, brings purification to the imperfect. And then it's, it's, it, that same glory of God is also hell for the, mm. for the damned. Um, that hellfire is the glory of God, you know, uh, you know tormenting the soul that has for one reason or another, uh, decided that they hate that, mm. that love of God. They hate that light, and, uh, and they, they don't want it. But, but the reality is, is after death, um, we, we are left with inordinate desires if we haven't purified them in this life. We're left with inordinate desires, but we have no means for satisfying them. Mm -hmm. you know? So imagine you know, being addicted, for example, to, to say, pornography. 
and you, you get into pur- purgatory and you're standing in the glory, you know, in, 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 you, you're in some relationship to the glory of God's goodness and his purity and his love and his, you know, all that. Mm-hmm. And yet I still have this longing desire to satisfy that lust in myself. And yet I, the only thing I have is I don't have any objects or images yeah. of pornography to satisfy that. I have the glory of God's perfect love staring me down, so to speak, and yet I don't want it enough. I don't, I don't, I'm not a fitting recipient of that glory yet because my heart is still wrapped around and tied up with and, 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 and uh, attached to this other thing that yeah. I have no access. So there's a suffering in that because I'm going through a withdrawal experience, <laughs> just right. like a drug addict, right. and with no way of satisfying that so that I can be liberated from that so that my innate capacity to receive God's glory and love is actually recalibrated and retooled so that I can actually become um, the kind of being that can step into the glory of God's light and not and not feel that as pain or suffering. Yeah. So it isn't this kind of punitive thing where God is like, well, you're a bad person, and I'm going to throw you over my knee and give you 10 spankings. <laughs> you know, yeah. this person over here only gets five, but you get 10, and this person over here is getting 25 yeah. because, you know, you have to pay for everything you did. The suffering of inordinate attachment in the absence of the addicted object mm. is itself its own torment and its own pain, its own sure. consequence, its own suffering. Yeah. And we will satisfy every last experience of that withdrawal and that detachment yeah. until it's gone. Yeah. And that, who knows how long that takes. Some people, I'm sure, get into purgatory and say, oh, yeah, here. <laughs> I'm just going to dump this in the trash can and be done with it. And other people hang on and say, I'm not, I'm not ready. I'm not ready. I still, I still want this. I still, you know, um, and we do that in this life. We do this, you know, some yeah. people just come to their senses and go, I don't want that anymore. And I'm right. done. Right. And other people, it's like they hang on, they hang on, they hang on and hang on. And only God knows why there's a difference between those two people, but there is. It's mysterious. It is. But that's I, the dying to self. Some people die slowly, and yeah. some people are willing to put their old self to death real fast. Well, that's a really, uh, my gosh, the way you describe that. <laughs> For me, I'm it, I'm excited about that, you know, because I think uh, with enough self reflection, you become you become r- aware of uh, of those things, you know that that. You you find you, yeah there's there's probably some pleasure that you find in them, but on at the same time you know that it's not like that it's too much or that you're you it's like disordered or it's it's um and and you want to let go of something, but you can't you know because you've spent so much time building investing in and it. investing in it yeah, and it's like dang if there's a thing like that that can help me let go. Even though, even though it's it would it's going to be painful because that's uh, to well, me that's it's like going to suck anyway. It's a glorious <laughs> vision. Like, I mean, that is, it doesn't have to if we can willingly. Well, that's the thing. If you're aware it of it, if yeah. you're aware of it, it yeah. makes it easier. Yeah. If you're somebody who's gone through life and and all of a sudden you you know you become aware of this thing in in your purgatorial time and you're like, oh crap, 
Like I didn't. Why didn't I, didn't, I take care of this before? <laughs> right, I didn't even realize that. Yeah. Well, we tried to tell you. Right, right. And we tried to tell you in so many millions of ways on the inside. Like, did you never notice that every time you indulged in this thing or that thing or, you know, whatever it is, whether it's it's a pleasurable thing or sometimes we indulge in being angry and resentful mm, or yeah, whatever, whatever right, it is. Right, right, right. Like, you didn't notice that that was just really left you wanting. Mm. You know, yeah. it, you didn't notice that you didn't feel good inside, and there was a lot of chaos and and uh, and conflict and 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 disease and yeah. unsettledness. Okay, so let me never ask, notice that, huh? Let me ask you this <laughs> then. Aside from this kind of conversation that you and I are having, this is probably something that a lot of Catholics do not ever hear or think about, you know, engage in a conversation about like why, what, what can the, what can we be doing? What can the church do to like help, you know, like make people more um, cognizant of these things, like make them more aware of these things or like, why don't we, why don't we engage aside from like, you know, the real basic stuff like, okay, it's all souls day. We're going to have the crosses on the wall or you're going to see the list of names of everybody that died. But like, it doesn't go in like, I don't think people, you know, there's not this awareness like we're talking about with that. I see anyway, I didn't grow up with any of this stuff, you know, it, like it just came about through it, conversations with people that were like my mentors and friends and stuff like that. But it didn't really come from the church itself. Like, I don't know. I, I feel bad. I feel bad that most people don't get to mm-hmm. hear this. Or... Yeah. I mean, I don't think we should. What's the solution? Come on, Mr. Problem Solver. <laughs> yeah, Mr. Answer, man. <laughs> well, let me say this, that I I, I do think that the, the the sacramental life, whether it's last rites or whether it's, offering masses up for the dead or these things. I, I we shouldn't underestimate how these things embed themselves in our subconscious and they do they do have influence and they do shape the way we, you know, the way we the, the sad part is so many Catholics don't participate in like they don't go to Mass on All Souls Day. You know, it's not a mm, right. holy day of obligation. And a lot of them don't even go to Mass on All Saints Day for 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 that matter. Uh, because we've just lost, you know, a sense. Now part of that is because I think we've we put the accent so hard on obligation that we we don't even understand that. Um, like honestly, I think most Catholic households put more attention into decorating their yard with all the ghouls and goblins and the skeletons than they do mm. spending time, yeah, liturgically, actually celebrating real rituals that really help us mm. deal with all of these these things. Yeah. So we we find an outlet one way or another for it, but we need to, you know, I think as a church we need to do a better job. We we've formed certain habits that have become kind of mindless, you know, habits that we don't engage our freedom around too much, and we don't step back and reflect on, or the ways in which we reflect aren't deeply connecting with our personal experience enough. They're too abstract, or they're too you know, sometimes they're just too catechetical. They're mm. out there. Like, sure. You know what I mean? Like, yeah, I can, yeah. I can, I, I know the church's teaching on purgatory. I know the church's Like, it's all teaching. idealized and not really. Or it's just, practical it's just or... disconnected from my life. I'm not yeah. really invited into an opportunity to really stop and think about my own life yeah. in the context of these things that we're doing, like we're doing. Like, that's why we're doing this right yeah. now, is that 
we're trying to actually have a conversation around what we're doing this month because we don't talk about why we do this. Right. Well, and here's a, just going off of that, I just want to share, like, w- recently uh, I played music, uh, a couple of songs at, at a co-worker's mom's funeral. And um, typically at a, you know, at a funeral, and this is how I grew up at a lot of funerals, somebody would give up, get up, and they'd give the eulogy, and they would just talk about all, you know, like, oh, these were all the great things that this person did, and now they're an angel in heaven. And, you know, sometimes explicitly, like, bad theology, but sometimes just over-idealizing or, like... Sentimentalizing. Sentimentalizing that person. And I get it. They're sad, you know, and so they want to focus more on the good things about that person. But this eulogy at this funeral is exactly what you said. It was given in such a way that it it was real about the the state of that person's heart, you know, like through their life. Good and bad. Good and bad. And especially I was there. the yeah, and especially the change leading up to their their death. Um moving into really a good space. But the the uh, eulogy was constantly pointed people back to like, you know, salvation from the Lord, like what it's all about. Rather than just being like a, a nice bio, yeah, kind of somebody, yeah, 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 and I'm like, and and the reaction from people was like, there was a lot of people moved by that, powerfully yeah. moved by that in a way that, yeah, I've never, no other funeral they've ever been to yeah. has has like spoken a, like a truth about the reality of death and mm-hmm. and you know the the. Um, God and heaven and hell and all, all these things like you know and it was uh it w- that's how it should be you know so we just need to replicate that <laughs> no it was i i was there uh and it was it was it was the most powerful eulogy and and uh funeral experience that i'd ever had because it really brought everybody's attention right onto the thing that we should have been thinking about, which was this, the journey of this soul mm-hmm. through the redemptive and transformative po- process of God's grace within the context of faith and family. And, you know, obviously the individual giving the eulogy um, journeyed alongside her mother and, and helped her come to know Jesus more deeply in those final months and weeks before her death. And there was a huge transformation of huge her soul. Huge transformation. Huge. And she had held so many things down and and in secret and pressed, you know, and suppressed yeah. in, in her soul. Afraid to die. Yeah. So afraid to die yeah. early on. And, and, then... and so you're like, I left thinking, yeah, that is exactly what this is all about. Like mm-hmm. that was probably one of the greatest proclamations of the gospel and moments of evangelization I've ever experienced in the context of a sacramental celebration. Mm-hmm. No kidding. Yeah. And I told her that, too, because it was beautiful on a level that I, I can't even really hardly put words to. So, mm. yeah. Yeah, I think it it's being conscious and intentional around what this is all about. Why do we do this? Right. What's the point of it all? Um and I think that if we spend more time talking about this thing, every other people would be like, "Oh, I never, right? I never understood that." Like, wow, that's mm. cool. I want to. Sometimes you appreciate something more in it when it's been when, when you've withdrawn from it or it's been taken away from you. Yeah. And and you kind of become forgetful, and then all of a sudden, the the profound depth of it yeah. gets reintroduced, and you're like, 
Oh, yeah. That's why we right. do that. Like, that's really cool. Like, I want to be part of that. Yeah. So, November is not a month to just quickly pass over so we can get to Thanksgiving and Christmas. Like, we need to ponder the meaning of death and dying on every level, mortality, rotting flesh, resurrecting bodies yeah. as the leaves fall off the trees and blow into their little corners of our yards and mm. and our all of our annuals and perennials die off and fall to the ground and drop their seeds for a new spring and like we need to ponder these things and God is 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 screaming his wisdom, his love, his mercy at us in all of these things and we mm. we can't just go through it kind of mindlessly. Yeah. So. November shouldn't just be about growing a mustache because they do call it Movember. Yeah. <laughs> really? Yes. I don't think I've ever heard that. <laughs> yes. no. So let's see. It's the month of pondering death yeah. and growing mustaches. So. Yes. Okay. Well, it's <laughs> getting lazy before what? The holidays? I don't I, get it. What, I don't know. What, why I is, don't know. Oh, is that because it's getting a little colder outside and you need a little, Your a upper little lip. protection? Yeah, the upper lip gets oh, a bit God. chilled. That's so. hilarious. Yeah. yeah well, no. my cheeks, I guess. I can't grow <laughs> hair on my cheeks. So uh, it's just my chin and my upper lip. Thank you. Mm, well, there you go. Insulation. You should do it. Yeah. I, well, I, I want to see a nice well. big bushy mustache <laughs> by the end of this month. Really? Yeah. I think it'd drive me crazy, but. <laughs> But anyway, no, that's good. It's it's good stuff. Well, I don't know. Do you have anything else that you want to say on this topic? No, not really. I feel, I honestly, just from talking through this, I feel like a renewed uh, desire in my own self to be like thinking about these things. Because I, admittedly, my personality is such that I, you know, like I, my heart is often left in the dust you know, by my will and my mind. And, and, uh, I think it's good. It's, it's good for me to like, to ponder that. Like my, I avoid, you know, funerals and things like that. I, I don't like to think about those things because there is a sadness of losing somebody. Right. And I, and I don't want to get like mired in that, you know, I, w I want to stay hopeful and, but, but I also have to, you know, I have to spend some time it's not healthy to like suppress, you know, like shove it down all the time. And, um, and the, you know, there is a, it's just good. Like you said, pondering, I think pondering is a good thing. Yeah. 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 My final thought on this is that every time I go to a funeral, it, it maybe this sounds like kind of navel gazing, <laughs> but I always think to myself, gee, I wonder what people are going to say about me at my funeral. And then I immediately go to this place where it's like, I know what I want them to say about me. Then and you were like it, six foot six and chiseled and... Uh, yeah, <laughs> yeah. My butt actually filled out my jeans. <laughs> no. Um, no, no, Yo, Scott, okay. that is not... Uh, okay, I but, was just... Yeah. yeah, no, I mean, you know, I think we can all write our own, lit, uh, our own eulogies about what we want people to say about mm, us. Yeah. And, and it was, you know, at my dad's, I was really gratified by the fact that the things that were said about my dad were all things that were really true. You know, they, they weren't all perfectly, perfectly good things. Mm -hmm. I mean, he, like, we, we made fun of his temper and his cussing and some of those <laughs> things, you know, yeah. um, his short patience for things. But, uh, you know, but the point is, is, yeah, I want people to be truthful, but part of the exercise for me is, like, 
how am I going to live my life in such a way that people will say what I would hope they would say about me yeah. as the kind of person I am? And that's why I think going to funerals and really entering in and pondering and contemplating these things mm. is so important because because it does make us, it can make us sit up straighter and try a little harder and mm. lean into the opportunities we have to be the best people that we're called to be and to continue that process of growth. It Again, yeah. it's not about flipping a switch and just suddenly being perfect, right. but it's about entering into the rhythm and cycles of a life and you know, bearing more fruit every every go round we get, um, mm-hmm. and just being more fruitful uh, in the in the people that we become in in Christ, and that's that's what sanctity, that's what holiness, that's what that's what being canonized is ultimately all about. Were either of us to ever be canonized, you canonize a saint because they understood the purpose, the trajectory, and the meaning of their life. And they never stopped trying mm. from the moment they found Christ. They just, they moved every day, every week, every month, every year closer to him yeah. as they were, as they could by the grace they were given. And, and, and it's not because they were perfect or they ever became without spot or wrinkle. That's for the next life. Yeah, yeah. But that's the journey that we're on. And so hopefully as we uh, wrap up here, we can uh, get this podcast out there so people have most of November left to uh, <laughs> take our our suggestions here yeah. about... And grow a mustache. And grow a Except mustache. the ladies. Yeah. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah, I don't think... I don't think I'm we sorry. <laughs> uh, okay. Oh, uh, no, that's really good. Really good. Wow. All right. Um, yeah, as always, Haska, just uh, inviting you to share with others that, uh, that you care about, that... Uh, that you feel like would be blessed by these conversations and um, to help them maybe just see things a little bit differently or to ponder things uh, so that they can experience a little bit more of that freedom and, um, you know, hope that that we talked about. So uh, share this podcast. It's on Spotify, Apple, Podbean. Is that, do people say Podbean? I don't even know. Yeah, I don't know if anybody uses that. I don't know. I think it's just the hosting sites. Yeah. Well, no, I think you can listen to stuff there. Oh, okay. But I don't think most people do. Yeah. Um, one one other thing I'll just mention really quick, because I should, is that I, I just published a book. <gasps> That's right. Called, you are uh, a prolific author. Uh, well, I don't know about prolific, but... Tell us. Well, it, it's called Wounded Witness, Reclaiming the Church's Unity in a Time of Crisis. Mm. And I do want to do some future podcasts on the book. So I'm not going to dive into it right now. I just wanted to let people know uh, that it's now available on Amazon. Mm. Um, so Do just, I have to buy my own copy so that I can be prepared for these conversations? No, or? I will give you <gasps> one of my free copies. Yes. And I'll even, yes. I might even sign it. Oh my gosh. gosh. Would that be exciting? First class relic. <laughs> oh my God. Yeah, whatever. Uh, <laughs> I hope so. No, Anyhow, that's cool. Go yeah. to Amazon, buy this thing, Wounded Witness. Huh? Wounded, Wounded Witness, yeah. Reclaiming the Church's Unity in a Time of Crisis. You know, I'll say this about it. Many people might notice that there's a lot of infighting in the church right now and a lot of kind of tribalism. So there's been a lot of that going on since Vatican II, and my book is an attempt to try to get my arms around how that happened and why we're dealing with all of this contentiousness in the church. But even more importantly what we can do to overcome it 
and and reclaim the unity that we are to have in Christ Jesus mm. so that we can be a credible witness to the world about the saving grace and mercy that we receive in him. Yeah. Not to, I don't want to toot your horn too much because I don't want your head to fill up this entire room. But I will say this. Having had many conversations with you about this book and the subject of it and kind of talking through, um, it is... Uh, I, I'm very excited to read it, uh, you know, each word, because um, you have an ability, I, I've always said this, you have an ability to take really big concepts and really big ideas and make them very accessible to uh, to a large swaths of the population. So I know that this book is going to have an impact. It's going to open people's eyes. It's going to make people think, um, reflect, um, you know, so I, yeah, I mean, I, I know I'm your friend and I'm trying not to be too biased, but I think that people should run out and get it. Well, thanks. Yeah. I appreciate the endorsement and, and you have been part of the writing and reflecting and refining process from the beginning. Mm. Um, you know, this, this has been on my heart to write for many years, but We've had so many conversations around all of this stuff, and, yeah. and it does feel good to finally organize all those thoughts and um, put them down in an organized way so that maybe it'll start a conversation in the church that can bring some healing to our yeah. divisions and strengthen our witness to the world that so desperately needs the credibility mm -hmm. of the faith and the hope and the love that has been embedded within our hearts. It, it needs to it needs to shine yes. in the world more brightly. Yeah. Cool. All right. Well, All right, man. Thanks. Yep. See ya. Take care. God bless. The Wise Guys Podcast is a production of Preambule Group, a Catholic ministry dedicated to helping you thrive in the heart of Jesus. Visit us on the web at preambula.org and follow us on social media.